This is The Ignition Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of The Ignition Show, where our mission is to bring you actionable insights and inspirational examples of how to tap deeper into your potential and ignite the flame within you to truly live a remarkable life on your terms. On today's show, we're speaking with Satema Ghali. Satema is a leader of leaders, a coach for the highly committed and powerful speaker who has definitely walked the walk. Through relentless commitment and dedication, he worked his way to the peak of accomplishment as a Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots, and a few years later found himself in the depth of despair when after making millions in the mortgage industry, everything he worked so hard for collapsed in the 2008 financial meltdown. Doing what he needed to do to protect and provide for his family, he sold everything he could furniture, cars, his beloved musical instruments, and most painful of all, his cherished Super Bowl ring. Not one to stay low for long, Satema has once again rebuilt and reinvented himself and is proof that any obstacle can be overcome with truth, clarity, know-how, and high commitment. Satema now shares his knowledge and experience in order to help others find and create the greatest version of who they are born to be. And rarely will you meet a man, a father, a husband as authentic, passionate, and committed as Satema Ghali. Satema, it's a great honor to spend time with you today. Welcome to the Ignition Show. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor and a privilege for me to be here with you. Thank you again. I'm grateful to be here. Well, we're grateful uh, to spend some time with you today. And you know, I've gotten to know you, as I mentioned, uh, in your work recently in the past few weeks. And one of the things that oozes out of you is a deep desire to live fully, to strive to be the absolute best version of you. And I feel like we are brothers from a different mother when you said you that you never wanted to be average. And that's exactly what I declared for myself when I was 17 years old. I'm curious where does your drive and hunger for growth come from? Man, what a great question. You know, I, it's not one thing. You know, I grew up in a, a home with a lot of love, but we didn't have a lot of resources. My parents immigrated from the islands of Samoa. So growing up, like while we had uh, food on the table and a roof over our head and, and all the love and faith and prayers and things that we do in, a, in a, my family, there's always a piece of me that saw other, other people who traveled, who had just a different lifestyle. And that always piqued me, right? That was like, huh, like, I wonder what that would be like. The second thing where it comes from is, is this calling in my heart. And I know, you know, some people are like, what are you talking about? But I believe that human beings have this piece inside of them that calls or it beckons them or reaches them to strive to do something special or significant for some it's athletics for some it's music for some it's art for some it's business for some it's the nonprofit or the charitable donation uh, causes but there was just a piece inside of me so from growing up and seeing what was available that we didn't have having this calling in my heart like this thing that just pulled me and then the third thing is it makes me happy like being <laughs> mediocre or being average it, you know, just living beneath your potential, your talent, it doesn't make you happy. You don't feel good. Yeah. You know, it feels good to to take a little bit of time off or to eat, you know, some donuts or some junk food for a little bit, but not long-term. Like, long-term, we're wired to be happy. Yes. We're wired to have a great experience. So that drives, those two things just drive me and push me and motivate me. That's awesome. It makes me think of, uh, I think it might have been Bob Proctor, maybe Jim Rohn, but Bob Proctor, I think it was, who said this, this one thing that was really stuck with me. He says, it takes no more, no more energy to go after your dreams 
than it does to be a victim in life. And in fact, you would argue that, and I would argue that being a victim in your life or just playing small and shrinking actually takes more energy. It takes more energy to just be lazy and flat and not have a vibe for life than it does to really step up and go for it. What's your view on that? I agree 100%. Science has shown that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. And it's the same amount of energy either way. It's, look, you can either go take all your energy and focus and put it into creating something that brings you value, creating something that gives you meaning, or you can sit on the sideline of life and watch life happen. And I tell people in the way I say it, phrase it is, look, you're going to arrive at a destination. Just make sure the destination you arrive at is the destination that you desire, right? Like that's where you want to be. Like you can say, yes, I wanted this or something like this. And it's so much better versus, oh, this is, this is what my life has been. Mm -hmm. A life of regret. See, I 100% agree with you on that. Like it's, you're going to create something. You might as well create something that you love, that you appreciate, that gives you happiness and meaning and fulfillment. Yeah, exactly. And on the flip side of that, I suppose, is that what I consistently see, and it's probably one of the fundamental drivers of my life, is recognition that while we all are capable of amazing things, that most people never give themselves a fighting chance to fully live to their max potential. Either they, you know, they don't believe they could have it, they believe that success is for other people, or they box themselves in in some way. What's been your experience as to what do you see are the biggest barriers that people create for themselves? How do we get in our own way? One of the biggest things I think that gets in the way is, is a blind spot, right? I, the, the scientific term is a perceptual functional constraint. Like you can't see and you don't know that you can't see, right? This blindness. So you could have all the knowledge, you could have skills, but if you're lacking a, a truthful or factual perspective, like you just can't see what you can't see and you don't know what you don't know, no matter how hard you try, no matter how committed you are, if you're not like on the right path or you're lacking a perspective, like you can't get it, you can't get out of your own way. Mm. Right? Just, you you got to be able to see the truth. You got to be able to know like, hey, like I know all the facts and all the perspectives to help me. For a good example, of this personally is, you know, there, there was some time ago, I just, I had a crazy low energy, like, right? I just, my energy was down. I just wasn't feeling myself for quite some time and I could not figure it out. So I was exercising more. I was sleeping more. I was eating more vegetables. I was doing all the things that I thought were right. But what I was missing was I finally went and saw a doctor and he said, oh, you're just really, really, really low on testosterone. I'm like, oh, I started taking some testosterone and like within two weeks, mm. it was like fixed. Now again, I, I was doing everything that I thought was required. Mm. I was doing everything that I knew, but I was lacking right, perspective or truth. Once I got that, it was game over. And I think that's for most people. No, they struggle because they're missing key information. They struggle because they're missing key perspectives. They struggle because they're missing something that completes the entire puzzle or picture that can allow them to then go move forward. Mm. 
And on that note, I know you're a big believer in self-education. And I love what I read with you when you said that for you, reading, uh, what really changed for you is when reading books changed from being a burden to a quest. What did you mean by that? You know, when I was in college, as I, you know, I was at Brigham Young University, played my college ball there, and I, I would get my, my textbooks, right? They were free. They were part of my, my scholarship. So I'd get the textbooks. I would keep them in the – I wouldn't even read the books. I wouldn't even read the books. I'd just do my homework and kind of show up and do what – you know, do enough to get by. And it wasn't until I was out of college because, right, that, that was a burden. I was like, oh, my gosh, i got to read these – and I just, I found no relevancy there. I just wasn't the guy that was going to go read, you know, historical arts of the 1600s. And like, how, how in the world does this make a difference to me? I get it now it does. But it was when I was out of the NFL, I was in Alabama, sitting in a hotel with my final physical. And I'm like, oh my, like football is really done. Like there is no more, like this, I'm done. What do I do now? Hmm. And I went and picked up a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. That yep. changed my world. Yep. I think for a lot of people, they read that like, oh my gosh, assets, liabilities, this is amazing. <laughs> and I read that book and I read it like three times in three days. And then that led me to seven habits of highly effective people. Then think and grow rich. And then I just couldn't put like it, like the, the perspective on books like reading from people who had gone before me, whether they were living or dead, they now became mentors. And man, like this quest, this adventure for knowledge and for perspective and even possibility. Sometimes I read a book and the only thing I get is, if this person could do it, I could do it. Yeah. And sometimes that's what we need. We just need the, the perspective, the possibility and the permission so like reading just, it's like I saw a meme online and a person, a cartoon character opens a book and light just shines bright. Then the next picture shows them and light shining out of their eyes like they could see more. Mm. That's what reading, that's what self-education. I mean, that is how I built my current business, which has been just an amazing journey for me. So yeah, read, you know, Kevin Hall in the book Aspire, Readers Are Leaders. And leaders are readers, 100%. I believe that to my core. You mentioned some great classic books there. Which books would you say, um, which books have really changed you the most? I can think of three books right off the top that have just radically transformed my world. And I mean radically, I mean like everything inside of it. Number one was The Rich Dad Poor Dad. Like that one really shifted my thinking around money, around assets, liabilities, investing, real estate, just, it really shifted me. Number two is a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by uh, Stephen R. Covey. Yeah. And like that book was massive. Like that just, that's one of the classics. I, that's one that I revisit probably every two years. I used to read it every year, but about every two years I go through it. Such a great reminder. And then the third book is a, a volume of scripture, or I guess there's two of them, the Bible and the Book of Mormon, right? Those mm -hmm. two books spiritually really like shifted my spiritual perspective, my connection to purpose, to God. Some people would might call it universe or being, but I just, that those are the books, Bible, Book of Mormon, mm. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, big books for me early on. And that tip, that like, that was the domino 
that just got me reading hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books today. That's awesome. That's awesome. You mentioned, uh, you know, that spiritual side of you. And I know the spiritual dimension is, is a big part of your core philosophy in working with entrepreneurs and working with the people that you work with. And I, I've come to learn, you know, there's different perspectives on that and people have different language for, but I think one of the core aspects of the spiritual dimension of our life is what I would call alignment. You know, the alignment between what you say you value, what is really important to you and, and how you actually operate, how you live. And that means are you, you know, being in alignment or being in congruence? And I know congruence is very important to you. We all have days, of course, days and moments where we drift and we catch ourselves and we're not being our best self. What are the signs for, for you personally, Satema? What are some of the signs that you, you notice, you've learned about yourself that when you're, when you're not in alignment, what shows up for you when you're not alignment? When I'm not in alignment, uh, the biggest thing is my energy is low. My happiness and fulfillment are low. I'm easily annoyed or agitated. And, you know, when I talked about energy being low, like I don't want to go, I don't want to do much. No. Like I, I'm, I, just, I don't want to, like I don't pop out of bed and I, I'm not moving about my day like a man on a mission who's committed to something greater. Low energy, low gratitude, easily agitated, hmm. easily annoyed, easy, like I easily find fault in other people and I easily judge. And I, you know, it's like, there's a lot of, I guess they call them trolls where you just troll people online. I start to do that. I start to find fault in other entrepreneurs or coaches hmm. or thought leaders. When I am aligned, when I'm in alignment with my purpose, my choices, my values, the things that matter most to me and the people who matter most, my energy is high. Yeah. I'm not driven by external circumstances and situations. I have high gratitude. I'm less critical and less judgmental. And my happiness is high. Mm. I'm like, like coronavirus, COVID-19 hits. And I'm like, no big deal. Yeah, I get it. Like everyone's going to get hit, but it did not send me into a panic frenzy or a crisis chaotic energy that a lot of people hit. I was okay because I'm aligned with my purpose, with my mission, with my values, and really the things that matter the most to me. And this is not just, not just something that like happens overnight. You, you build this way of being or this lifestyle or, or in athletics, we would call it, you build a capacity and a stamina and a mental toughness and even an IQ for your sport. The same thing goes for life. You know, you and I were having this incredible conversation about you know, what some would call just these woo-woo, airy-fairy philosophies, but it's reality for us because we've been building and stacking and adding and laying foundations that would allow us to have deep happiness, like real fulfillment, regardless of circumstances or situations. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you know, with our shared connection of Gene McNaughton and uh, had a chance to speak with him a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he's been interviewing all these masters, masters of their game, masters of business, masters of their mind at this time. And this whole world is going through this pandemic. And I asked him, what's what's the theme that everyone's talking about? And the first thing he said out of his mouth was, was optimism. And it's remarkable how people, you know, the real achievers, the people are really adding value to the world. 
are able to maintain optimism, focus, invention, reinvention at a time when a whole wasp of the uh, a whack of the the population is is coiling up out of fear. And what what is your what's your view on or what's your view or what's your what's your advice to people who are who are really struggling at this time? And you know it's because of their perspective. Uh, but they can't, they have got a blind spot. They've got a, they've got that, uh, functional constraint that they can't see beyond. What's your advice to people that how to widen their perspective or to get down to a truth? Yeah. I would say the one question, like right, the, the, the tip of the spear of a question which could then open everything else up. And that question is, what would you have to believe about yourself or the current situation we're in so that instead of this being a pandemic or pandemonium or chaotic, what would you have to believe about yourself or the situation so that it was the greatest blessing and launching platform for you to take your life to a whole nother level? Because it's just, it's, that's it. Like, I would put it back on them. I'm, I'm not even going to try to give you three steps or seven things. I'm going to say, what would you have to believe? Or even better question, when this is over and we're well beyond it, what do you want to have happen as a result of having gone through this? You know, do you want to thrive or do you want to survive? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have calm focus or do you want to have a chaotic frenzy, frenzy energy? And if you just get clear and like really step back from your current beliefs, it's okay, no, really like, what do you want to have happen? Dream again like a child. And some of us will say, man, I want to have a new business. I want to have more money. I want to have greater happiness. I, I want to be calm in the eye of the storm. And I'll say, great. What would you have to believe about yourself and about the situation? And that belief then creates a, it allows that person to actually do the work. It allows them to go, hmm, I wonder what kind of perspective, what kind of stories or thoughts I would have to create so that 6, 12, 18 months from now, I look back and I say, dude, that was undoubtedly the greatest time of my life. I grew the most. While people were panicking, I was, I was calm. While people were in crisis, I was at peace. I was sharpening my skills. I was doubling down on myself because I created a new belief or a story that said I grow at all times or I, I can, I'm the master of my universe. I'm the captain of my, my I'm the master of my soul, right? These things that you hear often that people don't really internalize. Yes. That's my advice. It's the question, which is what do you, you know, what would you have to believe so that this became the greatest time of your life versus a time to binge watch shows and to get fat physically and to just kind of blah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that question. And I'd be remiss if I didn't turn that question around on you and just get your perspective on this as a, as a role model, perhaps for other people listening to this is so for, for you, Satema, what do you believe about this current situation and what it would take for you to, you know, what is the greatest blessing at this time for you? Yeah. So number one, I got a lot, man. I believe this is the greatest time we're alive. This is the greatest time to be alive. 
it's, I believe that. Why not? I mean, I look for evidence. We have more time with our families. The rivers, the lakes, the ocean, the streams are clearer because as a human race, we've, we've been forced to slow down and, and shut down for a little bit. Yeah. I believe this is the greatest time because now instead of slowing down, I double down on myself. I've got time to build skills. I've got time to sharpen my tools. I have time to streamline my business. I streamline my, the way that we operate as a business or as an organization. I have time. And I know that while everyone else panics and binge watches, I binge on mastery. I binge on expansion. Because I just know I'm going to create distance with myself and others in the competition. I'm an athlete. Former athlete, so I look at the I look through the world I look at the world through two lenses. That as a coach, as a, a thought leader, as an influencer, as a beacon of light, as a broadcaster, and I look at life as an athlete, as a competitor. So to me, I'm like, this is the best time. Are you kidding me? Mm. You like, we got more time to to work. We got more time to be present with our children. We have more time to do the things that we just never could because we were too busy. Yeah. And this is also, again, one of the beliefs about myself is, or about the situation is like, we will never have a time like this again, where the entire world just shuts down. Like if it, if it does happen, then it's, it's the same situation. And you're either prepared to really take quantum leaps forward, or you're going to, again, binge watch. Wrong with, I like watching TV too. I watch TV with my boys and my wife. But man, that's not the main focus. My, my focus right now is expansion, expansion of mindsets, expansion of skill sets, connecting up, creating more revenue. It's crazy. Right? People are like, well, everyone slow down. I'm like, well, you might slow down in revenue, but you can set up other dominoes or other things that have a cascading effect on future revenues, which would make them like 10 times bigger. That's what we're doing right now. So I just, I have this belief that this is the best time. Like this is the best time ever. It really is. is And that perspective creates possibilities for myself, for my family, for my clients, for my teams, for my organizations. It's such a great, like you cannot convince the demo that this is a bad time. Nope. I don't (laughs) buy it. I don't believe it for a second. I I love that. I won't even try to convince you otherwise because I can sense your conviction behind that. And I'm also curious again, how, have you always had that kind of perspective or were there certain moments, certain experiences or certain lessons that you gained along the way that really made you realize that you can make the best out of anything? I've not always had this perspective. I think I've been, I've been hungry. I've been open. I, I'm not, I don't feel this way all the time. I, my goodness, I'm probably a, maybe I'd call it an 80, 20 or 70, 30 out of 10 days. There might be two or three days where I'm like, I'm kind of dragging a little bit. Yeah. But the more I do this, the more I choose to believe this way, the more that I engulf myself and immerse myself in this way of thinking, the happier I am. Look, I was, I was broke twice in my life, like really broke after the NFL and after the mortgage collapse of 08, 09. And it was those times where I was like, okay, Satima, you got a choice, buddy. <laughs> you can look behind you and say, well, the, my best days were behind me. And just kind of settle in for a mediocre life and have your kids say, ah, my daddy played ball. And I didn't want that. Hmm. Or Satima, you can say, 
my best days are ahead of me. There was a book called, it's by Dan Sullivan. I can't remember the name of the book. It's about growth. Yes. One of these laws of growth was. Oh, I've got that book right here. Yeah, the, behind you. the 22 law, 20 laws yeah. of lifetime growth or something like that. Yeah. Dan Sullivan. And, and he, and I remember this, right? This, I read this, I probably read this back in maybe 2009 or 10. And he says in the book, your best days are ahead of you. Hmm. And so I strive hard. I think one thing that drives me is, no, I know one thing that drives me is I've just seen too many people get to their old age. Like you hear these stories, but I've seen it. I've sat with people, the, the guy who's got half a billion dollars, who's got every toy, every, everything you could imagine. And the guy is empty. He is unfulfilled. He's miserable. He has zero quality of life. And I was like, geez. And so sometimes you need to see people who've got all the stuff in the world to realize, okay, that's not it. But being broke isn't it. So where's the balance? And I don't like to call it balance. I like to call it harmony. Mm. Like, I just like to have this harmony of life while I'm 100% grateful for where I'm at. Like really like true appreciation and gratitude. While I'm hungry and grinding gratefully and striving satisfied for the place I want to be. So I don't just sit in this place, grind to go get what I want. I'm like, no, I'm grateful for where I'm at. And man, I'm hungry for more. And I know that everything I have now is, is meant to make a difference for other people. So a lot of my life right now philosophy is we're meant to create value for other people. We're meant to serve other people. The more resources we have, we have a greater stewardship to use our money, our talents, our time, our energies to serve and make a difference for other people. And that just, it drives me, right? It gives me energy. And like I said, I'm you know, maybe 80, 20, eight out of 10 days, I'm on fire, two, two or three days. I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> I, I have my moments. And, and I just, I love that. And listen, you know, I'm human and I'm, you know, I'm not just living in la la land. Like I, I feel what people, I know what it's like to be depressed. I know what it's like to want to binge watch and eat ice cream all day. I've had those days. My goodness. I, I don't know anyone who hasn't, but I've had those days and it gives me appreciation for the days where I'm on fire and I'm like, okay, I'm clear. I'm committed. Let's go do the work. Yeah, I know. I love that. You know, there's so many, there are speakers or coaches or authors out there who say a lot of these things, but sometimes it's hard to really connect with them because maybe they, they haven't lived it. Or they, you know, people can't relate to their challenges, but you're certainly a guy who has lived it. And, and I'm curious, you talk about perspective a lot, you know, and, and I've heard you describe what happened for you personally in the 2008 financial meltdown as a nuclear bomb hitting you and your family. And you were really paralyzed. And can you just give us a flavor for what was your perspective? You know, looking back at it now, what was your perspective at the time? Like, what were you really experiencing, feeling, fearing at the time? And what's your perspective now that you've come out of that on the other side and uh, really making things happen? Oh, I love the question. And I'm going to, I'm going to slow down my talk here while I share this because it's, it just means a lot to me. When I went through that first economic crisis and we lost our homes, we had properties all over the country, we had developments and office leases and people and we had money and cars and, and we had it all. We had a lot of working assets and things being traded. And when we lost, I went through a number of emotions. Some days I was like, this is going to be the best comeback story ever. <laughs> Some days I was like, dude, I just should sit in the car and 
in the garage and turn the cars on. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm having these thoughts. I was just like baffled that I was like having those types of thoughts. And I thought, man, this is what it's like. And I felt that I needed to experience and walk that path like depression. And late on, we went from the six and 8,000 square foot homes that we owned to a 900 square foot, I think it was like 924 feet square foot town home that was tiny. I hated it. We were late on the rent every month. We were late on our utilities every month. We were late on our cell phone. Like I just, nothing I was doing worked. And so I have deep empathy for people who they're in that spot right now, right? They're, they're struggling. They're, they're in despair. They're demon of hope. And back then I just remember, I just kept, there was, I just kept fighting. Like, this is not the life that I was born to live. And I knew that in my heart. Like I felt it. I, I just knew that all of the afflictions and trials that I'd put myself in, they were for me. They weren't happening to me. They were happening for me, for my growth, for my experience. So I could figure out the blueprint of how to navigate through it. Because me overcoming all of that, I just knew, again, this is nothing I'm sharing with you. Is I, I've heard and learned from other people. So I just acknowledge the many mentors, coaches, authors, speakers, high school teachers, high school coaches, church, all the people that have impacted me. I knew me overcoming that would become a blueprint for people to overcome theirs. And I remember saying one day I'm going to be telling this story, how I overcame it. Well, I do that today. I speak on global stages. I tell the story of how we lost it all, like lost, evicted the week of Thanksgiving in 2008, living in a 900 square foot town home, selling the Super Bowl ring, being on food stamps, scraping for almost four years, scrape. And I'm, when I say scraping, I mean like borrowing money from my mom on government assistance for 12 months. I just, my confidence got shook. My, my certainty got rattled. My mojo disappeared. And I have to reinvent myself. So for anyone right now who's kind of at the bottom, if you're listening to this, I'll tell you, there's hope. There's a way. And it's not going to be magical. No one's going to come save you. And nor do you want anyone to save you. You're going to climb out. You're going to latch on to mentors and books and and programs, and you're going to do the work, and you're going to pay the price every single day. And one day, if you desire it and choose it and commit to it, you'll tell your story. You'll write a book. I've got a few books. I've got a podcast. I get to tell the story. And then I get to coach everyone from the beginners to people who run enormous companies and leaders and leadership. And so I love the life that I live. And it has it came with a, a steep price, right? Mm. It wasn't free. It wasn't easy, and you know, to anyone else going, uh, anyone out there going through this right now, it's worth the journey. It is one hundred percent worth it. Yeah, again, a very powerful perspective. It's uh, you know when things are we rec- we do recognize or accept the truth that things do happen for us, and and uh, it's not the world against us, but it's there to give us a message in some way. That's I think one of the most powerful things and empowering things that we can. Uh, perspectives that we can adopt. And, you know, um, just building on what you said there is that I think also one of the myths when people look up to people, see people, you know, whether they're celebrities or famous in, in their own field in some way, people have achieved massive amounts of success. 
I think one of the things that used to surprise me as I studied success was at first it surprised me. Now I just accept it to be true that even those people who are um, at the top of their game and you've had a chance to work with some of the best, best in the world, best in their, in their field, best in their sport. Um, we think that somehow they're, you know, they got God's gifts. They were born talented. They were born with all the greatest support team and everything else. But when you peel back the, peel back the curtain, you realize that a lot of these men and women who achieved at the highest level didn't, were the furthest thing from a silver spoon. But all of them do something to keep themselves, keep their perspective clear, keep themselves mentally sharp, build resiliency. When you've had a chance to be around some of the best, what do you, what are some of the, you can name names if you want to, but what are some of the practices or the rituals that you have seen when you can see people behind the curtain that really keeps them on top of their game? And they would say that is absolutely the key to their success, not they're successful and therefore it's easy for them to do, right? I love this question. So I have worked with some of the best. I've been part of the best. I was part of the Super Bowl 36 New England Patriots. I've worked with some guys who are eight and nine figures. Who I've, I've personally coached them. And it's amazing. You, you might think, how can I coach someone who makes 10 times more money than I do, or 100 times more money than much money as I do? And it's really simple. I know who I am as a coach, and I know what my role is. So I've been around some of these the best, and companies have hired me and brought me in to speak and train their people. Here's what I know for certain. Number one, these what I would call a champion or a leader, like a high producer, high performer. They have a clear picture of who they are, more importantly, who they want to be, where they want to be, how they want to be. It's clear. Principle four in our 13 principles is clarity is power. And you ask a, a person who's really winning, it's not by accident. They're clear. Yeah. And it's not just a one-time clear. Like they create the clarity over and over and over again. Like we create it. I create clarity every single day. And the way I create my day, who I want to be and how I want to end up through all of the COVID-19 quarantine. Like I create clarity around with my family, how I want to be with my children. What do I want them to say about daddy? How I want my marriage to look, the type of business model I want to have, the type of recurring revenue and the type of uh, quality and experience. Like there's all this clarity, real producers, champions, leaders, they have this. The second thing is, well, let me back up. They have it and they create it right? Consistently. The second thing is once they're clear about that, and once you're clear about what you want or the experience or the legacy or the type of home you want to live in, the, the, the type of home you want to raise your children in, the schools you want your kids to go to, the vacations, like this life experience. Once you are clear, the thing that I know that champions have or high producers is they have an obsessive, ruthless commitment to that clarity. And that commitment, principle number five for us, says commitment alters everything. And commitment, I, I have a simple definition if, if I can share that. Yeah, it's do. three things. Number one, yeah, number one, you do what's required. You're not doing your best. You're not doing all that you know. I, you know, Russell Brunson, the uh, ClickFunnels, good friend of mine, he quotes me in his book because I said this in one of our inner circles up there. I said, doing your best is for kids. 
you want your kids to do their best, but when you become an adult who wants something that you truly desire, you do what's required, right? That's the first part of commitment. Are you doing what's required, not just all that you know? Number two, are you doing what you said you would do? Being committed to something means I do what I say I will do. Most people can declare powerfully, right, what they're going to do. I'm going to get up at six and exercise. I'm going to make these X amount of calls. I'm going to launch this campaign. I'm going to launch the podcast. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And guess what? Most people, they lack integrity, which means they don't do what they say they're going to do, which means they're really weak. And I don't mean like that they're a weak person. It's just they have weak power. They, there's zero energy or zero power. So do what's required. Do what you said you would do. And I would, you know, people are like, how do I get power in my life or confidence? I say, look, make a promise, keep it. That's something I heard from Stephen Covey. And we, I've just taken, I'm like, do what you said you would do. Like that gives you so much certainty and so much power. Third definition of, of commitment. Act decisively in spite of the thoughts, feelings, emotions, and moods. You make a commitment, you say you're going to do something, you know it's required, but then you, most of the time you, you have thoughts that betray you. You have feelings where you're not feeling like doing the work. You're not in the mood to do it, and your emotions are like, they want to be lazy. They want to eat ice cream and watch Netflix all day or find what we call hide behind activities to hide behind. Like you're busy, but you're really hiding from doing what's required. So do uh, like champions, they, they ruthless commitment. I'm going to do what's required every single day. I'm going to do what I said I would do every single day. And I'm going to act decisively in spite of thoughts, feelings, emotions, mm -hmm. and moods. And, and, the, and the, the land of commitment, we say you're a 10 or a two. There's no in between. You're either yeah. a 10 or you're a two yeah. on or off. And, and the final thing around commitment I'll say is this, which just, so powerful. A committed man or woman will move a mountain with a shovel if that is what's required. It's like, dude, you're committed or you're not. And if you're committed, I tell people, look, your results today, they reveal your your past commitment. Just look, look at look in the mirror, look at the body, look at the scale, look at the bank account, look at your lifestyle. That's what you've been committed to. Your commitment always reveals you know, what you, your results always reveal what you've been committed to. And if you want something different, you go make a new commitment. I think that's so powerful. I think that's so powerful. You know, I have a slightly different way of saying it, but you, you've, you've broken it down very well. And it's the distinction between, you know, are you interested or are you committed? Interested. If you're interested, you do what's convenient. If you're committed, you do what's necessary. And, um, yeah. I love your 10 or a two as well, because you're right. You, you can't be half committed. And on that note, why do you think people give up so easily or they quit on their dreams and their aspirations so easily? Ooh, that's a bit, that's a loaded question. I'll, I can only speak from experience of why I've seen people quit. Number one, they really didn't want what they said they wanted. Or in other words, they really didn't make a commitment. It was it, it would have been nice to have. It would have been cool. It was fun when it started out. It got a lot of cool. You know, I posted something on social media and got a lot of attention, but I really didn't want it. Like, that's the first thing. Like, you really didn't want it or you really didn't create a compelling enough commitment or conviction to go do the work. Uh, the second one is 
they just don't believe that they're worthy of it or that they deserve it or that they can do it or they have the capacity. They, they don't believe that they are worthy to, to, to get that result or that thing. You know, I've, I've known people that started out on trying to go do a, like an Ironman and they quit for first four or five years. And then in year six, they finally did it. They actually did the work and finished it. And, and you ask them, hey, what was the difference? They said, I, I finally gave myself permission. Like I gave myself permission and the belief that, dude, I'm worthy of this. I'm mm-hmm. totally worthy to be an influencer. I'm totally worthy to be a thought leader. I'm totally worthy to, to run my own business. I'm, I'm worthy. Right? I'm, I'm worthy or I give myself permission. To, to make a ton of money hmm. and be okay with having nice, expensive things because that's always what I've wanted, right? So there's like, they didn't make the real commitment. They don't think they can do it or that they're worthy. And the third thing is, I would say, is they just don't have the right tools or the right, right yeah, the, the right steps. Like yeah. that, that, I would quit too. Like I would... And now, obviously, you would hope that a real commitment and a real commitment would drive someone to go get the right steps, the right knowledge, the right tools, the right platforms. Like, you know, like if I'm going to go build, if I'm going to go dig a hole for a hundred floor hotel, I'm not going to use a wooden spoon to dig the foundation. Right. I'm going to go get the equipment. I'm going to get the right, the right blueprints. But a lot of people today, they quit because look, you're, you're trying to push your car uphill with the brakes on and the car has no wheels. You're, you're, I would quit too. Yeah, yeah. So make sure that you have the right tools, the right knowledge, the right mentors, the right plat. Like make sure you're not hurting yourself before you even get started. Give yourself a chance to follow through. But the first two, th- those are the ones, right? Make a real commitment. Like if you really want it, and you re- like you have a compelling why for wanting it, dude. There's no way you'd quit. There's no way you would quit. It's just, you know, especially if you had the right tools and the resources. And even if you didn't, that commitment would drive you to figure out the, the, what's necessary and required. Yeah, and no, I I agree with your list. And the one thing I would add to that that I've seen play out, especially even more so. I agree with you. This is the best time best time in history to be alive. But I think also what, what it's kind of missed is we're not really you know taught or shown for the vast majority of people taught or shown how to truly live with discipline. And I think both you and I have had a, an athletic background and competed at a high level. And uh, that one thing I've always valued with sport is the routine, the regiment you go through, and the discipline you need day in and day out. And I love what you said earlier about. Uh, what was it? In spite of the thoughts, the feelings, or the mood you're in, you know you got to strap on the helmet and get out there, go out there and get hit. And um, I think that's a fundamental thing that that I think you know. And there's been lots of studies and you know analysis around this too. You compare our you know our modern reality, and I'll, I'll just speak about I'll just speak about men. There could be parallels for women as well, but a modern reality that at least in America. It's a crazy number, very high percentage. You may know it's 50, 60% of young men are not in a physical enough shape to even qualify for going into the military. And you combine, you compare that to what was happening in World War One, World War Two, where those were, ta- that was an era of being disciplined. And I don't mean disciplined in terms of punishment. I just mean having the mindset and the mental fortitude and the conviction that this is what's the right thing to do. 
Amen. I I love that. You know, I believe it's Jocko who says discipline equals freedom. And that's something I've been really working on teaching my sons is you have to have discipline to not overeat food or you've got to have the discipline to get up when we say, you know, and we've been doing early morning workouts with my boys. I get them up about 630 and we go hit a walk and we do that about three days a week. So we hit an early morning walk or you know, walk slash run jog. We have a pull-up bar and bands. And, and so we, like, we work out almost every day. I, like I'm working them out, which I love. And that's something what you said, discipline, really, that discipline to do the work, that discipline to build your capacity, that discipline to master a skill over 12, 18, 24 months, that discipline to just be so committed and to, to say no to the things that would hurt you or that make you overweight or to make you like fall behind. Like, I love, I love that discipline is in, I'm, tra- I'm like, I'm raising three boys who I'm training that, like I'm training them so every day, verbally, mentally, physically, spiritually, teaching them what a real man is and how a real man operates and the real man's going to provide for his family. And, and this is why you got to be physically strong. And, and I'm pushing these guys to the point where they're sometimes crying when we're doing our workouts. And I just push them and I just remind them, what do you want, son? And they're crying because it hurts. Mm. And I push them because I know one day they will look back and they will say, I am so glad my dad taught me how to endure, how to push, how to do hard things, how to, and like, how to just get through the grind of it. And again, that goes back to clarity. So I love that on discipline, man. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you um, about your perspective on speaking the truth. And I know uh, I, I've always got a sense from, as I got to know you of what you said earlier is that you know who you are as a coach. And one of the core, what I, my language, my, the way I would, I would um, pick up on what I've heard from you is that one of your core tenets as a coach is you have no issue calling it tight, speaking the truth. What is it about that for you personally that is so vital, not just as a coach, but just being the man that you are? What is it about that that's so important and so needed for you? I go back to a phrase from a man by the name of Jesus, and I don't know if he coined it originally, but I heard it first from there where he said, the truth will set you free. And the guilty take it the truth to be hard for it cuts them. And especially, I heard that, I'm like, huh, how does, and I, I've always like, you know, I, I would tell these little lies. I wouldn't say something that hurt someone's feelings. And then as I got older and more experienced and I was clear about what I wanted, I knew that in a time where everyone puts filters, everyone, not everyone, that's false, where a lot of people put filters on, a lot of people Photoshop and a lot of people portray a life that is not really the life they live. It was causing, as you mentioned the word earlier, incongruency, like out of alignment. That's not happiness to me, like faking and pretending. Even the whole when people say fake it till you make it, I don't even buy that. I'm like, I don't buy that one bit. I'm not faking anything. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be raw. I'm going to make it relevant. And I'm going to be clear about the results I want. So it's fine. Our coaching and same thing. I believe in a lot of like just powerful coaching. you got to have some real, real candor, like real. I can call you. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to be your buddy. 
I'm here to help you to, to rise above where you are. So truth to me, it, it really does set you free, like living a life of truth and calling it what it is. You know, and if my wife has, like, she'll come up to me on a Sunday, she's like, hey, what do you think about the stress? I'm like, nah, Tom, you want to change that? She's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> like, we speak truth with each other. Like, I, I don't want someone to, I want someone to tell me if I'm off. I want someone to give me feedback. And it's the same thing that we do as a coach. So, yeah, I, principle one in the 13 principles, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And they, we, like, we live by that. Like, dude. Live a life of truth. If, you know, if I'm having a rough day, like I said earlier, seven out of 10 days, I'm pretty good. But two out of three, but ah, man, I, I have a struggle like everyone else. And I just, okay. Like, you know. I have all the things that I do for it, but I just want to live by truth 100%. And I, um, you know, it's something that I, I personally have, um, I would say, struggled with over the years. I'm getting, I'm way better than I used to be. On speaking the truth, especially if I'm dealing with a colleague or a client of mine and really calling it tight. And what I've learned, and I'd love to hear your perspective as well, is what I've learned is that when people, and if I'm even if I'm coaching someone who has a challenge with that, a challenge of saying no to a challenge of standing up for what they believe in, um, the real fear, if you unpack it, the real fear is that by speaking the truth, it will hurt the other person. Uh, but the paradox, of course, is that when you do speak the truth, if it's done, if it's done with, uh, with rapport or compassion or empathy in some way, most people, even if it's hard to hear, will be incredibly grateful because you might be the first person ever to finally tell them what the real thing is. And I'm curious what your experience is when you've had to get whatever your style is and, you know, in people's faces or calling it tight or speaking that powerful truth, if calling out their blind spot. What do people, how do people tend to react to that? And I'm asking this from the perspective of sharing the lesson for anyone who's listening to this and was really fearful about the ramifications. Maybe you can put that fear at ease for them to say, this is what truly happens when you call it tight. So here's what I would share. And there's, we've got to create some context here. You got to be clear about what you want in each situation, right? And the outcome of each situation. I am clear that Satema wants powerful experiences with people, right? I don't want to just walk in and say, dude, that's freaking ugly. Dude, you suck. Cause that doesn't give me the outcome that I want. Now there's a very tactful way and with permission that I'll be truthful with people. There's in almost every everyday conversation. Like I'm not like, I'm, I'm going to just stay on the surface with people. I'm in an elevator. Like I'm going to just, I'm going to stay in my lane because I just know, People don't want the truth from you. Now, when you're in close relationships with people and employees or team members or an employer, right, or someone that you've got to get on the phone with, speak the truth. And I even say this in one of our trainings. I'm like, yeah, you're worried about what other people are going to think, but you know, that's really a story that you are making up. Why are you worried about the experience that they're going to have? Did you ever try to story that maybe they, they would want someone to be honest with them. Maybe you, you know, you would want someone to be real with you. So I always tell people be, be really mindful of the situation because there's situational awareness, be tactful. If you're in a relationship and just, I always say, just get permission. Like, what do you mean? Ask permission to be truthful. Hey, can I, 
going to shoot you straight. Hey, can I give you some feedback? Hey, can I share something with you that might, might help you but might sting? Once people give you permission, it's game on. Like, mm. be real, be tactful, be appropriate, be a leader. Like, don't just vomit on them to, because it's truth. Like, that's, that's called stupidity. <laughs> real leaders know how to tactfully and carefully deliver the truth so that it gives the, the result or the outcome that you truly desire, which is impact, making a difference, value creation, perspective. Yeah, that's how I would say it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Seth, I really appreciated all these nuggets of wisdom and uh, the truth that you've spoken in this conversation. Before I ask the final question, where can people learn more about you or get in touch with you? You know, I would say go to my site, um, setemangali.com, S-E-T-E-M-A-G-A-L-I.com. And on there, you're going to find the podcast. You'll find some of my daily email list. You'll see our 30-day championship. Like, there's a number of ways to just get a ton of value for free, like a ton of opportunity and things that you can have. And just and then obviously that'll lead you to my Instagram or Facebook. But I just tell people, connect with me on, on my site and then via social media. And if there's anything I can do, I'd love to. So thank you. Right. I'm, well, we'll, uh, I'm grateful. Yeah, well, I'm sure, be sure to include those links in our show notes. Final question for you, Satema, for your time on the Ignition Show. What do you hope to ignite in the world? So for me, I would love, well, I'm committed to igniting the movement called the Prosperity Revolution. It's igniting the truth and the power in every human being, particularly leaders is who I work with, to, to liberate themselves. So the more that a leader is liberated, the more they can liberate other people, right? The more that a leader can produce results and speak the truth the more they help others so the, the movement that i'm a part of and that i leave the prosperity revolution is that of prosperity it's a mindset where you shift your inner world and changes on the outside are shifted as well and that's it like if i could just ignite people that you can create a life that you absolutely love like you could do it Oh man, like how different would your life be if you, if you walked around with that belief every single day? Well, I, I love that. And it's great that you are leading that revolution because the world definitely needs more prosperity right now, mentally, financially, spiritually. And, uh, it's just a great honor to spend time with you. And thank you for sharing all your wisdom. And, um, well, I'd love to, love to keep in touch. Maybe we'll have you back on the show, uh, later on once we're out of this pandemic and, uh, and get you some more wisdom, how to accelerate people, people forward at that time. Thanks very much for your time, Satema. Take care, my brother. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As always, we want you to get the most of the time you've invested listening here. This show is only valuable if you apply what you learn, and most learning is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned and found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com slash connect and let us know what struck you. What was it that you heard today that you really needed to hear today? You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there, where we'd love to hear your comments or follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. That's a shorter follow-up episode where we, my wife and business partner, Sarah and I, talk about what we learned from this interview and how these ideas have shown up in our lives at a more personal level. 
As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and our website, and respond to as many people as we can. And remember, whatever you dream of, whatever you hope for, and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.